0: Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Business Journals of Texas, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas, and by Independent Financial, banking for business, banking for life. In this episode, Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson talks family business with a second-generation Texas-based exec.
1: Thanks for joining us on Texas Business Minds, Edward. How are you? Doing great. How are you today, Will? Good, thanks. Now, you're president and CEO of Georgetown-based SportClip Haircuts. I think everyone knows SportClips, and it's obviously implied in the name, but why don't you give us the rundown on the company and what you do?
2: Sure, Sport Clips is a 30-year-old family-owned business. My father started it, First store opened in June of 1993 uh, in Austin. We have 1,900 uh, mostly-franchised men's haircuts locations in the U.S. and Canada. And I have been the uh, CEO since 2020, which is uh, some interesting stories I'm sure we might touch on later. And uh, been back with the company from doing my own thing for a little while for about 13 years now.
1: Yeah, I know you had originally worked at Deloitte, I think we've talked about before, right? Gone into a little bit of consulting and then came back to the business, what did you say, 13, 14 years ago? 13, 13 and a half years ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, I started my career with Deloitte on the management uh, business consulting side. Great foundation, great work, uh, really interesting and gave me a good foundation for uh, bringing something back other than my last name, some actual experience that was helpful to the business.
1: And then you didn't come back in as president and CEO. As you alluded to, um, you kind of worked your way up through multiple levels. I know at one point you were in charge of the company stores. As you alluded to, there, there are some company stores that the vast majority are franchised, but worked in company stores, had been in the C-suite as COO. Tell us about your trajectory and, and where you started at the company and how you kind of learned along the way.
2: Yeah, I started off bringing some of the things back from Deloitte that I used there, uh, which were really helpful for the business as it was uh, really entering a pretty rapid growth spurt uh, at that time. So we needed to scale, we needed some more structure, processes, different ways to look at metric, leadership team meetings uh, and rhythms, things like that, that I had experience with that I was able to help apply. But my core job was literally just running one location. So about as close to starting at the, exactly. at the bottom as you could get. With one yeah. slum one single salon and not taking on more until I had proven myself there and and earned it with results. Uh, Then a few stores, then all the company stores, uh, which we expanded into several more markets. We now have 74 company-owned stores uh, in five markets and building out that infrastructure so that I can then go help franchisees also be successful. So in uh, franchise business consultants, I role, in all of operations. And I used to be able to say that I had done or done partially most of the jobs in the company. We have more positions now, so I can't say that anymore, but really just touching all parts of the business and taking on one more thing at a time until we got to, Uh, until I got here, basically.
1: So I think when I spoke to you, when you became CEO in 2020, it was around 1800 stores. Now it's about 1900, you said. So it grew in the past three years, uh, even coming out of the pandemic.
2: It has grown slightly over the past three years, not at the same rate as we were growing uh, pre-pandemic. The industry as a whole has contracted, actually. We are the only chain of any uh, of any size that we're aware of that actually has more units now than we did going into COVID. Just barely, uh, not by a ton, uh, and not at the rate we were before. But we certainly outperformed the, the industry in that regard.
1: Well, take me through that because it was, uh, as you were saying, a difficult time to become a CEO of business, 2020. Walk me through what the past few years have been like and when the industry as a whole is contracting, and I know this because I, I'm in journalism and the industry as a whole is contracted, but Austin awesome Business Journal ha- has grown, right? So give me a little bit of the insight on what it's been like to lead through this and the industry, how that's changed in the last few years.
2: Well, it obviously wasn't part of the plan. I, I got confirmed as a CEO, uh, not announced yet, but confirmed as CEO the third week of February 2020 by the board, right? When things were still, you know, good, right? Uh, and COVID was an overseas problem for the most part and then as of march 15th we had 1863 operating locations march 16th we started shutting things down due to government mandates and by april 4th i believe it was we were a zero revenue company so it was not planned but nothing open uh,
1: yeah nothing open what were you the ceo of you know like man right
2: Fortunately, I'm really uh, actually better in high pressure, either high growth or kind of turnaround situations. And, uh, you know, a long time ago, uh, probably when I was in consulting, I said, you know, it'd be really fun one day to be uh, CEO of a, or a turnaround CEO, right? And then, of course, COVID happens. And I remembered that I had said that and thought, you know, I really meant turnaround of somebody else's company. I really didn't want to have to turn around my own. But uh, I think that that mindset and that high pressure orientation served us well. And we really just acted, I think, more quickly and aggressively and decisively than most organizations did, which was hard because of obviously the, the lack of information and constantly shifting landscape. But uh, one of the things we did to do that was really bring our franchisees kind of behind the curtain, so to speak, and really exercise full transparency throughout the whole organization. And we're clear about we're going to have to make a lot of decisions really quickly and we don't have a lot of information and don't know all the answers, but those who handle this situation the best will perform better, right? Uh, every, everybody in our industry and the world is dealing with the same situation and uh, I think we're pretty good at looking at the silver lining. So figured... We obviously wouldn't have wished for this, but if we can tackle it better uh, and make better decisions, act more quickly, then technically it'll be a competitive advantage in the future. And that's just the way we thought about it. And the other thing we thought about was I also feel, uh, of course, very, very fortunate to have the foundation that, that Gordon, my father, laid and feel very tied to the culture. So the other thing that we wouldn't bend on was no matter what happens, we're putting people first and putting franchisees and stylists first, team members here at the, the Austin, Georgetown area support center first. And no matter what happens, our culture will remain at the end of this, no matter what it costs.
1: That was a good example you gave about increasing transparency. Maybe we can get into a few more of those, but I just want to drill down on like the point you're making. Like We, we all, well, not all became CEOs, but we all became kind of wartime managers during the pandemic. I mean, I know that's a, a cliche, but it was like, everyone had the same adversity that we're all dealing with and so as managers as business leaders there wasn't a lot of info to operate on you're right it was changing day by day and it it was difficult but in a lot of ways i mean think of the macroeconomic situation now and there are some some clouds and headwinds and that experience during the pandemic it showed a lot of people how you have to respond to a globe you know affecting event like that and that's that's good experience now it was also a painful experience at times Can you give me any more examples, Uh, like you're talking about increasing transparency, putting up the, you know, the ramparts, helping your franchisees out? Like, what did that look like? How did that look like at Clips? Sure. One of our core tenants,
2: uh, and and by the way, that experience makes everything happening right now feel like slow motion, right? So what, what am I? Challenges is kind of modulating that high pressure, uh, high speed, uh, high pace uh, style when things don't require it. But one of our other core tenants we sat at the beginning of that crisis was keep cash at the store level. So a franchisor, our revenue is a percentage of. Franchisee's store level revenue, right? So we get 6% uh, royalty of store level revenue. That's how we make our money. And so the first thing we did, or one of the first things we did, remember we shut down 1900 stores, almost 1900 stores in, in two and a half weeks before we had even shut down or before their stores had even shut down, we made the decision to start refunding or not collecting royalties and fees that were, you know, legally due to us. It was our revenue in order to keep cash at the store level. We didn't have any sort of projections on if we could afford it, how long the crisis was going to last, how long would we be a zero revenue? It was obvious at that time we were going to be a zero revenue company. How long would that last? Really no idea, but we knew if franchisees uh, had the funds and stores we're well-capitalized enough to reopen properly, then not only would we be eventually fine as a system and as a franchisor, but same concept, if we did it better than everybody else, then we would outperform the industry. And it's pretty unheard of for franchisors to do that. And we were really aggressive in doing that on ramp down and ramp up. So that's one example.
1: That's exactly what, I'm, what I was looking for. It's like, you're literally like, no, nah, don't give us the money right now. You hold on to it. We don't know exactly what's gonna happen. How long did that last?
2: depended greatly on the state. In certain states, Georgia, Texas, Idaho, Utah, a few others, we're talking a couple weeks. In other states like California, uh, it was the following August when we were fully open, I believe, permanently. The Bay Area specifically, I remember, I don't recall if it was July 4th day or maybe it was July 2nd or July 3rd of 2021. Uh, when the Bay Area finally determined, uh, every state was different in terms of whether the state or the county or the municipality was making the decision. They uh, made the decision to open. And that was the same afternoon that uh, Newsom came on TV and said, we're shutting it all back down again. Yeah. So we got about three quarters of a day of operations in in that particular area a year later. And Canada was even worse actually. So really depended, uh, we weren't really fully 100% open until January, February of
1: 2022 completely. And so you had to bring it back kind of the revenue, uh, the or revenue in chunks, like you would get some back from some states, other places that were still locked down. I mean, that just sounds kind of harrowing, you know, uh, this big franchise, you employ people, the franchisees employ people. It's like a, I mean, it's, it's a very large enterprise based up there in Georgetown. That would stress me out. We had lots of spreadsheets
2: trying to keep track. I I think, you know, some states decided, some counties, some municipalities. So there were probably 300 different deciders, you know, around the country or more. And it's a competitive industry. But in this instance, we were actually working alongside competitors to share information on that so that we could all reopen better.
1: So take me from that to now. And as you said, you're kind of all over the country and Canada as well. I think in all 50 states, right? All 50 states in Canada. All 50 states plus Canada, so widely dispersed. And as you said, you kind of some of the learnings from this whole situation can be a competitive advantage. So 2023, Sport Clips is now 30 years old. Your father founded it 93 in Austin. How is the business doing? Business is doing great. Uh, we're back to
2: actually a little bit above 2019 same store sales levels. So we've recovered from a sales perspective, actually a little bit better. We're doing it with a higher average ticket and uh, and a little bit fewer clients. So we're really focused on that client count growth. One of the biggest bottlenecks has been the labor disruption, for sure. So we're really heavily focused, as we always have been, but uh, but even more so now on the stylist getting. We call it getting, keeping, and growing more amazing team members. And we're doing some really interesting things there that I definitely want to share with you before we're done here.
1: Yeah, go ahead, please. I mean, I think that's a challenge for everybody from, you know, tech recruiters down to the the grocery store clerk. Um, So it's affecting a lot of people. And I wonder uh, where you have been able to find success at Sport Clips in that regard.
2: Yeah, well, our industry is a licensed industry and it's actually fairly burdensome to go through cosmetology or barbering school and get licensed and keep that license, especially if you're moving state to state. And a lot of people don't realize that. So our industry has actually always been a pretty tough, competitive labor industry. Of course, this environment is, continues to be somewhat unique uh, or somewhat different. And so even more challenging than normal. And so we really looked at what are our strengths and how do we leverage those things? And when we look at that, Culture has always been one of the things we do best. I think yeah. one of the handful of things we do better than than anybody else in, the, in our industry um, is scaling culture down to the four walls uh, across the country. It starts with our, our core values. Do what's right, do your best, treat others the way they want to be treated. And we elaborate on those, of course, internally and how that actually operationalizes. But what does that mean for the stylists. If culture is one of our strengths, how are we getting that word out? And what are we, what are we taking action on? So we have, we've kind of upgraded and uh, communicated better, uh, as well as kind of rebranded and added some programs to what we call our whole stylist care program. So we have always, always uh, for the last uh, 10 or so years, 10 or 12 years had um, a relief fund. Uh, so any stylist in the country, they fall in hard times, whether a flood hits their home or they get in a car wreck or a medical emergency, whatever it may be, apply to this relief fund. And we've actually now um, paid out to Sport Club's team members over five million dollars in yeah. relief funds. Yeah. And so that's something we've done for a long time now, but now is of a bigger size than it has been before. And, you know, we kind of did it because it was the right thing not to advertise for stylists. But we just said, why don't we tell more people about this? Another thing during that you've heard a lot about during the last three years is mental health, right? And rightfully so. So we had one of our, our prominent team members who's on what we call our artistic team. It's like a stage performance team, motivational speaking team. And uh, she spoke about her personal experiences with with mental health. Alice Porklips helped her through that, but also how she got through that in, in other ways and used it as a strength. And we realized at that time, that we need to do more in this area. This was a couple years ago now. We've implemented a national mental health employee assistance program where we actually pay for that centrally as the franchisor, but every single stylist, any of the over 13,000 stylists around the country who work for franchisees can access this at any time. Could be a serious mental health issue, or it could be something like I'm stressed out about working on Saturdays when my family's home, or my kid just got a D in math or whatever it is. They can access that at any time. There are several other programs uh, we have in place that are similar to that for specific situations like, like domestic violence or childhood trauma. But these are things we've, we've implemented that stylists have access to even in a franchise environment, even nationally at high volume that not only is it the right thing to do, it makes it clear that we invest in our team members and, and put team members first and give them an environment that's more positive than just about anywhere they can find.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So EAPs, right? Employee assistance. I think a lot of companies are are leading into that as a way to provide resources. But yeah, you're, you're as the franchisor doing it for the 1900 stores, the hundreds of franchisees out there. That's a resource that you guys then provide centrally. Even though the employees are, you know, the employees of the franchisee, but you guys kind of have the backstop on that.
2: Exactly, it's uh, a little bit more challenging to structure that for, uh, in a franchise system than a direct employer. So, but we found a way to make that available.
1: And the employee assistance fund is interesting too. I've heard about that. I think it, uh, it was P. Terry's who, you know, if someone got a flat, right, in the car, like, well, it helped the employee out and then it, it helped the business out too because then the employee has less to worry about. I mean, it even goes into mental health. It's like a, one less stress to you know, intrude on someone's life.
2: Exactly. Yeah, just thinking about the, the stylist as a
0: whole person versus just the one that comes to work. Edward Logan joining us. Next, how Sport Clips has built success by franchising when Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual, we know the importance of protecting your employees on the road. We create driving safety programs to help keep your people and your bottom line safe. Together, we can reduce driving accidents and drive Texas business forward. Business is safer, stronger, better with Texas Mutual. At Independent Financial, we know you work hard for your business. That's why we work hard for you. Ready to get down to business? Let's talk at ifinancial.com slash business. Independent Financial, banking for business, banking for life.
1: What has it been like with franchisee relations? Because it is different, as you just said, You know, running a, a large franchise. There are corporate stores, Sport Clips Corporate's locations. Tell me about the franchise model. Obviously it's been a big part of the growth and it continues to fuel the business today, it seems like.
2: It's a great model. It's a great win-win model where people can get into business for themselves, but with an existing structure and proven formula and a lot of support from us. We have one of the highest support ratios in, in franchising. It's a really great model for scaling culture because you have that local owner versus, you know, large corporation, which is also a benefit in, in our business and in our model. We have always had what we call an advisory council of franchisees. We've always had a great relationship. Through COVID, again, looking at the silver linings, that became even stronger because we really let them behind the scenes. And a lot of people talk about great communication and change management but uh, what we did was actually pure collaboration. We made those decisions together and really from a culture perspective the way we thought about it was if you thought we had a strong culture before wait till we show what we do when it actually costs something, right? When when things get tough. And so we really have a great relationship and work together over the last 3 years, have a stronger relationship than we ever have, but the essence of that really they did, you know, come here to get into business. And so using all these opportunities to make sure we continue to evolve and refine and improve unit level economics. Because if stores are healthy, if there's healthy unit level economics at store level and healthy culture at store level, everything else almost takes care of itself.
1: What do you do to, to work with franchisees and that kind of stuff and the unit level economics around uh, labor, which has been challenging inflation, which is eating into to everybody's, you know, bottom line right now? What kind of support does that look like?
2: Uh, The benefit of a large system is we have a lot of data. So when even just a handful of stores somewhere in the country change their pricing, we look at the effect on client flow uh, and figure out that demand elasticity, right? And so we have a lot of internal data. We also leverage outside experts. We're actually about to start a big data study with APMG around exactly that, uh, optimal pricing down to the store level. Are you too high, too low? What difference does that make to your client count? When can you expect to see results if you change it, et cetera? And so we really leverage outside resources to do things that exceed, you know, what we could do internally, which happens sometimes. And all that's built. And speaking of labor changes, same thing with with uh, compensation. Making sure that we help franchisees stay competitive. Uh, we encourage top of market based compensation for for uh, comparable salons and barbershops, which a large uh, percentage of our our franchisees do have best in market based compensation and aggressive commission plans, but helping optimize that against uh, how you offset that with pricing and how you pass price increases along to the team member while still keeping your margins healthy. So we do a lot around that. And we also benchmark uh, franchisee financials internally with with an internal system we use uh, and keeping an eye on all those moving parts so that we can you know, kind of do all those things at the same time and, and keep stores healthy,
1: right? That is foundational to the business. How much do you charge? What is your pay? Um, and that that'd be a lot for a franchisee, I imagine, to try to do on their own. So, relying on a large system, I mean, you've got the expertise, you've got economies of scale that help out at that level. So, that does seem like a way that a franchise system can, yes, yeah, support kind of those individual franchisees who are kind of on the front lines, right? Or kind of, um, again, excuse the cliche, but they the ones who are getting people to come in and get their haircut. So, hey, last but not least, Edward, we talked about your father starting this business 30 years ago. Um, you've taken over, the president and CEO reigns. He's still chairman, Gordon, or still involved on the board? And, and- Gordon is
2: still chairman. He's uh, mostly focused now on a prototype concept we have called Gambuza's Barbershop, higher-end uh, luxury barbershop, as well as government and industry relations. We don't have time for it today, but there's a lot going on in terms of government industry regulations, uh, various things that would be helpful to the industry uh, and helpful to stylists that we're, that we're working on as well. So that's what he's focused on, and I'm focused more internally.
1: What's your advice for others on the succession and, and you've had a few years of it now? Um, tell us how it's worked out. Yeah, it's really important to do it right. I really actually,
2: uh, I encourage anybody to, to reach out to me if, if they'd like uh, some hands-on advice. I really and passionate about helping multi-generational businesses do it well. We had a lot of help as we were planning. Family Business Magazine has a couple great conferences each year. And we went to those and asked families who had successfully transferred businesses through multiple generations, or at least one or two, what they did, what worked, what didn't work. So we learned a lot from others. But I think my advice would be do it right. Don't take shortcuts. Oftentimes, it's tempting for either generation to bring somebody back to the business or or into the business immediately. I think outside experience is absolutely critical for multiple reasons. And I would encourage both generations to, I guess, have thick skin. If you do it right, it's really much harder to climb the ladder, so to speak, than if you didn't carry that last name. And certainly it gives you opportunities as well. So no complaints, but have have thick skin and know that it's really important to earn it the right way and the right way is usually not the easy way. But if both generations are committed to it, then it's really an awesome thing because Sport Clips means so much more to us than a business or a set of financials. It's really the whole system to us is family. We have a lot of deep relationships. We have no outside money now and we never will. It's uh, structured uh, in trust to be a multi-generational operating business. That means a lot to us, including uh I have two daughters, six and four, uh, and one on the way, actually. And both of them can recite the uh, Sport Clips values and, you know, are all logoed up at all the events and can also consider a lot of people in Sport Clips family. So those relationships and that just means a lot, a lot. And it's worth everything it takes to, to make that transition successfully.
1: Yeah, I remember when uh, when you guys won a family business award and, and writing about sport clips, one of a freelancer writing about it and no private equity all owned by the family or even some, some key current former employees, but um, no private equity to grow that large. It was very interesting.
2: That's right. I only saw it as a as a fairly young person, but certainly a lot of sacrifices at home. Gordon and Betty did a lot to make that happen, took a little bit of money early because they had to, but, uh, but bought it out pretty early. And I mean, uh, terribly impressive, of course, what they did. Can't say enough about, you know, being able to even, you know, have this opportunity in the first place.
1: Yeah, well, you seem proud and with good reason. Edward, thank you so much for joining us on Texas Business Minds.
0: Well, always a pleasure. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. really enjoyed it. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. And by Independent Financial, banking for business, banking for life. Learn more at ifinancial.com.